4 p.m., stand up. It's count time. Time for every man and woman to stand up and be counted. I'm Brother L.D. Azobra, and I'd like to welcome you to another edition of Count Time Podcast. Sakara Harnett, welcome to Count Time. Thank you. So you started out in psychology at Southern University, at LSU first, then Southern University. But you end up, because of your situation where you could not go back, it made you leave the state, basically. They, yeah. you know, so you had to, you, so that's almost like a runaway slave, huh? <laughs> well, yeah, it's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> but you yeah. ran to Virginia, that slave country. That's where it started out at. No, no, I went to D.C. Yeah, yeah. Virginia right next door, right? Right next door. And Maryland, Maryland, too, the seat of okay, the And you, you changed your course of schooling. What, what sent you on, on the course to be a, an attorney? Well, I mean, it was a very roundabout way. My marriage dissolved. Um, he wore that um, poor man out. He had, to, he, had to, he had him on a run, too. <laughs> yeah, no, he, he didn't leave. I left. Oh, he, you left. Okay, um, he, actually, he did move, eventually moved to Atlanta. Um, and by the way, very nice, very nice man. We're still friends. Oh, that's good. That's um, good but um, my marriage dissolved, and I had to get a job. Um, and I, I got a job that I thought would would put me in a position to um, to leave the country and stay out of the country the if country. I needed to. Yeah. Well, what type of job was that? I worked as an air flight attendant. Flight attendant. At American Airlines. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. yeah. So my friends knew what my situation was politically. Now, hold on. No, so the, now, you tell me the government didn't know who you were. What do you mean, the Pan-American? No, no, the United States government. It, well, I'm, I'm sure, you know, the yeah. FBI, they have files on About, many uh, of us. That's what I'm saying. Many of so, us. So let you, let so, you get a job as an air uh, I got a, flight a, attendant. A, a black woman hired me. You know, I got fired from Pan Am several times. Um, Starting mess with all the trouble, trouble but take good trouble, though. You get in good trouble over there. Yeah, well, on one occasion, Pan Am called me up to send me. At the time, Pan Am was only an international carrier, and they sent, called me up to send me to South Africa. And I told them that I would not go to South Africa because... Apartheid. Well, Pan Am was sending black flight attendants to South Africa, and black, black flight attendants had fought to have the right to go there. Pan Am owned, at the time, the intercontinental chain of hotels. And that was one of the largest hotels, and they were all over the world. And so the black flight attendants could go to South Africa, but they'd have to stay in the hotel, and they couldn't do anything else. But that was not my issue. My issue was, why are you sending me to South Africa when Stephen Biku was just beaten up and killed in jail? There was a lot of unrest. And you didn't make the Jewish girls go to the Arab countries. You didn't make the Arab girls go to the Jewish countries, so why, to, to Israel, why would you make me go to South Africa? So Pan Am uh, called it insubordination and they fired me. 
And I had to um, go to meet my supervisor the next day, who was a black female married to an African man from Senegal. And she said that uh, I knew the rules and I didn't follow them and she had to do her job, so I was fired. And I remember going to Andrew Young, calling Andrew Young's office up. Yeah, that's my homeboy. To ask, that's your homeboy yeah, too, Yeah, to right? ask for help. And his office told me that they didn't get involved in matters like that. I uh, called the Village Voice up in New York, and they wanted to um, interview me about it, but I didn't want to do that. And a friend of mine, you know, Jackie Parker, Joyce, um, who was a friend at the time, um, told me that I should call Perrin Mitchell up who was a congressman at the time. And I called Perrin Mitchell up and met with a man by the name of um, Bishop Clarence. Bishop was his name. I think that was his last name. And he um, told me I was living in New York then. And he told me to come down to, um, to DC and he would interview me because I transferred from my base in Washington to, to New York um, because I could just be very inconspicuous, more inconspicuous in New York. And um, so when uh, he called me and he interviewed me and said that Perrin Mitchell would help me, agreed to help me. So Perrin Mitchell, Mitchell was a congressman from congressman. Maryland, okay. very progressive congressman. So Perrin Mitchell sent a letter to Pan American and told Pan American that it would be a political embarrassment as well as a could cause a financial hardship if people um, knew that Pan Am was trying to send this little black girl, and that's who's this little black girl, to South Africa, considering what the political situation was in South Africa at the time. And Pan American hired me back. They hired me back, and you know, from then on, it was hell in Pan, you know, with Pan American. But they hired me back. I was not sophisticated enough to ask for back pay, <laughs> so, so I didn't get any money or anything. But um, they did hire me back. Now, how long you was without a job for Pan Um, maybe about eight or nine months. Eight or nine. Months. Living in New York, that was not easy. Oh, I can imagine. Mm -hmm. now, now, where do law school come in at? Well, uh, I applied to law school. I applied to Howard, and I applied to Antioch, which, is a, which was a left-wing law school in D.C., started by a couple, Gene and Edgar Kahn, who were classmates at Yale University, met each other, married, and um, Gene Kahn's father or grandfather were, was responsible for most of directing most of the civil rights activities that took place in the country. The lawsuits, they would send them, if they needed to file a lawsuit in Louisiana, they would direct it to AP Turo in New Orleans okay. or somebody, you know, to Mississippi or whatever. And she married a Jewish guy, Edgar Kahn, and they, they were at Georgetown University and decided that they would start a law school. And at the time, Jean Kahn, because of her connections, her father was friends with Shriver at the time, who worked for the Kennedy administration. 
and um, they were instrumental in setting up the law school. So it was the first clinical law school in the country where the entire program was clinical, which meant you started working on cases day one, and, um, and the first year was 12 months. The first year of law school was 12 months, and you had to agree not to work, but you could get work, uh, work study and you know, things to help you along financially. So um, when I was accepted into um, Antioch, I, um, I stopped flying and went to law school. Now, now what you, where did you get your undergraduate studies at? From Howard. In social psychology? Political science yeah. and psychology. Okay. I had a double major. So you, you kind of opened. So you was, when you left Southern, you was already in your junior year. My so, sophomore junior summer, year. So yeah. did they did they take all your credits? They took some. Took some. They took some. So it allowed you to get back on track though. Mm -hmm. So yeah. I went to law school, finished law school, and worked for Legal Services Corporation. In DC? In the, no, no, here in New Orleans. In New Orleans. So mm -hmm. you came back home? No lack. Mm -hmm. I worked uh, for them for a while. Um, they fired the woman who <laughs> who was over NOLAC, um, Yvonne Hughes, who I think eventually became a judge and then they got rid of her when she was a judge too. She was a very um, radical, kind of left-wing uh, woman from New Jersey, from the North, and was just very fiery and very outspoken and very unpredictable, and uh, she just did not do well here in Louisiana. So now, but you got you got a law degree. What brought you back to Louisiana? Then? Well, she offered me a job. Oh, the the the, the left wing fiery, yeah, 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 <laughs> predictable. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> she offered me a job, and I took the job. And well, uh, well, how did y'all know each other? I don't know how I met her. I think they advertised. I interviewed, and we were sort of kindred spirits, you know. Oh, so, so she so hired me right oh, away. So you left wing. Kind of fiery. Well, <laughs> the most sophisticated daughter. Well, well, maybe not as not as smart and sophisticated as she was, but you know, I was on that track. On that track. Now, now what was it like when you left to go to Howard? Go to Howard. I would have to believe you thought I ain't coming back to Louisiana. No, because you my know? whole family's from here. You know, my mother, my father, my, I'm the oldest of eight. All of my brothers and sisters were here, all of my cousins. You know, my family, some of them migrated from Louisiana, but most of my immediate family stayed here. So, I mean, I always knew, and I've, I've moved back a that, couple of times. And what, what, what's your family last name? Um, Cheatham, Balcor, Wilkerson, Mazie. And they all from the New Orleans area? Yes. Not Mississippi? Um, my mother's family is from Vidalia, which is kind of borderline. Yeah. yeah, you know, um, kind of borderline Louisiana, Mississippi. My mother was, she lived in Vidalia, but she was born in Natchez, I think. That's how they did things in those days. Went to either midwives or the hospitals in Natchez. Oh, okay. <clears throat> now, when you came back to Louisiana, you took a job, you say, with... Uh, Legal uh, core, mm -hmm. and from there, what did you? 
and you, but you in DC, you back in mm -hmm. DC I left, now. I left New Orleans. Um, some of my classmates from law school, um, you know, trying to get me to come back to DC, and they told me about a job at EEOC. And we had a friend, um, Gil, um, and Gil was friends with Clarence Thomas. And Clarence well, Thomas. Now who was Clarence Thomas? The Supreme Court Clarence Thomas. Oh, okay. And Gil was friends with Clarence Thomas, and Gil said that he could get us a job working at EEOC. So um, eventually, um, I left New Orleans and went back to, um, to D.C. to work at EEOC. That's Equal Opportunity Employment Commission. Commission? Okay. Mm -hmm. And I worked there in uh, their Office of Review and Appeals, which meant that we primarily wrote um, appeals uh, that came to the commission from, from the federal sector, like the post office and places like that. And the woman who was over the office was a crazy white woman um, who loved black men, I'm not going to call any names, loved black men and did not like black women. And so I went to Clarence's office to tell him, thank you for hiring me, and I really appreciated it, but you know, I was going to leave the commission. And so he said, well, you know, don't leave. Why don't you stay here and work for me? So, I mean, you know, rarely do you get a chance to work for the head of a department in a federal agency. So I thought it was a good opportunity. I didn't really know much about Clarence Thomas. I knew um, to be weary of Republicans, but I knew, um, I really didn't know much about him. And the more I worked in his office, and the more I was around him, it, we did not, it did not work out. It did not work out. He was um, another Netterville. He was a pawn for the white boys. He would have, go to, to, um, to the Department of Justice and meet with Ed Neese and all of those guys. And um, they would tell him what to do, and he would come back to the commission and do whatever they, they told him to do. Um, he settled cases that really should not have been settled the way that they were, cases where white boys were alleging reverse discrimination, and on and on and on. And so, and Clarence didn't do anything. You know, he was, I mean. So he didn't really practice law? No, no. He's all, he always worked, from what I understand, he always worked for federal agencies. I don't know if Clarence has ever tried a case in his life. I really don't. I mean, I'd have to research that, and I'm not 100% sure, and I know that he's been appointed to positions that are, that's allowed him to be, to hold judgeships and to be in decision-making positions. He's a Supreme Court but judge. Yeah, but I don't, and the same thing. You don't try cases when you're on the Supreme Court. I don't know if Clarence ever tried a case. I don't know if before he received the judgeship, or work, started working at the commission, I don't know if he even knew what a motion for summary judgment was. No, I'm not joking, I'm very serious. And, um, and he, you know, he consistently made it up through the ranks by selling, selling us out. 
So I asked to, to leave his office. I went down to the, um, to the general counsel's office. I worked there for a little while, and then I left the commission. I just quit. How long did you work under Clarence? Two, two years. Well, no, not under him for two years. I was at the commission for two years. Um, and I was a politi political appointee, so I could leave, you know, whenever. Um, so I left there. Um, I don't remember what I did after that, but I remember that's when the whole Anita Hill thing came up. Did you and know Anita Hill? No, Anita Hill, I worked as a special assistant to the chairman at EEOC, to Clarence Thomas. Anita Hill worked as a special assistant to the chairman at EEOC. Anita Hill was there before I was. She worked in that position before I did. It was Anita Hill, then another woman named Sandy. I think her name was Sandy Little. Brilliant black woman. Um, she was there, and then she asked to be transferred out. She left. And then that's when Clarence asked me would I come to work for him, and I was in that position. And, um, and then eventually, you know, I left. So when Anita Hill started having problems, to this day I've never met her. Um, one of um, um, people started, reporters started calling me once they found out that I worked in that position to ask me if I had ever had any problems with Clarence and sexual harassment. And, and I never did. I mean, the, the things that he did to me now, people would, would say, in a sense, was that way, you know, like um, calling me up to have coffee with him every morning, calling around the commission trying to find out where I was, you know, and I'd have to go to different departments to hide because I didn't want to be seen walking around with him. You didn't want um, to be seen walking around with you? That's your no. boss. Well, I didn't want to be seen walking around with him. And the way what? that I saw him approach other women and the fact that I saw who he was taking his instructions from Oh. And um, so, so that just you got you started getting flashbacks. Well, from Southern University. Well, no, not not so much. Well, flashbacks in terms of of uh, feeling that um, he was another. He's just a pawn, yeah, you know. Yeah. Clarence told me once that um, our friend Gil, the one who was responsible for getting there, he said once when he and his wife divorced and he had custody of his son, Clarence said that he and his son were sleeping on the floor in Gil's apartment. And he promised himself that never in life would he find himself in that position again. And I guess that's what he decided to do. And another- By any means necessary. Mm -hmm, and another attorney by the name, I think his name was Michael Middleton, told me during uh, one of the, um, when they settled, I think it was a Sears case, and they appointed a special uh, masters to oversee the, um, you know, the, the, the distribution of the funds and how the case would be settled. Um, one of the people that they called to work with us was an attorney by the name of Michael Middleton. And Michael told me that Clarence worked at, I think it was education maybe with him and some other people. and. Michael said that they called Clarence in one day and asked Clarence, told Clarence that Ronald Reagan 
was going to run for president. And they asked Clarence if he was on board, if he would go all the way with them. And Clarence told Michael that he told him yes, he would. And he did. Ride he did. On yeah. that ride ever since. Yeah, he did. I was approached several times like that, so I yeah. understand. Yeah. So he, um, he, um, you know, he bit the bait and, and got his thirty pieces of silver, and you know he's he's been collecting his thirty pieces of silver. Yeah. So you know, I left the commission, couldn't get a job anywhere. Interviewed with people, you know. And with the internet, you know, they punch me in and find out, you know, and Use a they didn't. Yeah. Well, they, well, it, I interviewed with, um, I think it was the National Treasury NTEU Employees Union. And at the time, the president of that union was a guy by the name of Tobias. And I interviewed with him because another friend of mine was president of one of the locals and arranged for me to have that interview. And he said that um, they could not hire me because although the Supreme Court justices at that time were very different, that they still had a very um, close relationship. You know, they would have dinner together and do, do, I guess, Supreme Court justice things together. And that if they ever had a case that went before uh, the Supreme Court, they would not you know, yeah. I would be seeing more of a liability yeah, right. than, yeah, than an yeah, asset. So, so and, and I figured that would be the case, you know, wherever I went. So I bounced around for a while and then um, decided to go into private practice, and that's where I've been. How long have you been in private practice? About 20 years. But it's... it's, it's 20 it's plus a, years. It's a shame, and it's, a, uh, and it's, uh, it's just hard to figure this out. You, you, you taught and you believe in doing the right thing. Mm -hmm. It seems like it has serious consequences to oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But, but, you know, I always tell myself, um, I don't have a lot of friends. I have a few friends, and the friends that I do have, I'm very close to. I mean, I don't see them every day. I talk to them every day, and I may not see them for a year, but I know that they're there, you know. Um, but I think more than anything else, you have to look yourself in the mirror first when you get up in the morning. And if you can look yourself in the mirror with all the mistakes that I've made in life, you know, uh, all of the things that I've done wrong, um, I still think that the experiences that I had in terms of the choices that I've made um, are experiences that have contributed to my growth as a human being. Have made me a better person and a person that I can tell my family, although some of them may be ashamed of me because of my political activity. But for the most part, um, I think they know that I'm a decent person, that they can count on me, that I'm reliable, and I won't sell them out for 30 pieces of silver. So. But you know, I, I heard this saying years ago, and I'm gonna have, have to repeat it. it it's very repeated now. And I, and, uh, you know, I went, I've gone through a lot, still going through a lot. But you know, we find out this, and uh, the 
it's not just what you're going through, it's where you're going to. Mm -hmm. And that's got to be a peaceful thing to know that you're doing the right thing. You got to sleep with yourself. You got to wake up. You know, yeah. the, the mind never rests if you know if you're not yeah. at peace with yourself. Mm -hmm. But it's hard. It's hard trying to do the right thing. It is. You know, and it sometimes is. To you move might, into this world. Yeah, you might slip a little bit here and slip slip a little bit there, but it's it's hard doing the right thing. It's you know, and I can understand how some people just. You know, we, we have different constitutions, and but I think if, if I make a bad decision and it affects me and only me, then I suffer the consequences. But when you make a decision, a, a decision that affects hundreds and thousands of people, you know, um, you know there's, there's no justification for that. There, there's, there's um, how, how do you justify living knowing that decisions that you've made have had such a negative, horrible impact on people. You know, I wonder how do white people live with themselves? Well, they live good. No, I'm, but I mean, how do, how do they live with themselves? And I, I mean, I know the things that they do. And one of the things, and Joyce and I have, have uh, had discussions about this, one of the things that, that happened to me in, in the, the process of, I think, moving forward, is that I have no religion, you know? And I don't have a religion, and my mother, you know, my mother prays every night that her child will not burn in hell. <laughs> but, you know, how do, how do, you, how do you go to these, these churches with these people who say, come to me and I'll forgive you and then they go back out and they do the same thing over again and then they go back to church or confession or whatever it is. Say the name or of get Jesus. on their knees at night and say, Lord, forgive me. And they're forgiven and they get, you know, knowing that, well, whatever I do, you know, I'm just going to say I'm sorry for it. And I'll get up and, and I'll go on. How, how do you, you know, how do you, you know, where, do, where does that come from? And all the mythology, you know, all the mythology that surrounds so much of that. And I, and, and I know some people do it for the fellowship um, because it's hard to be out here alone. You know, it's hard not to belong to groups and organizations. You know, when you're an attorney and you're practicing, it's hard to be in private practice, you know, when you don't have other attorneys or other people that you can work with. It's hard being a black female attorney when you go before white judges who talk to you but look at the white boys like you're not even there but they have to deliver a message or an opinion so they deliver an opinion directed towards you but they they deliver it to the white. I mean it's 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 not easy it's not a it's not an easy um, thing to do and and I, I would, you know, I wouldn't, I don't know that I would tell people necessarily to choose this road. You know, I think I would, I would say choose a road where you don't hurt anybody but yourself and you can live with yourself when you wake up the next morning. And um, life is hard. Life is hard. If you... But at the same time, when you know, when I sit here and look at a woman like yourself, you know, and as I do with Dr. Jackson here, it's an honorable thing, you know, and sometimes it don't seem to have any value, 
mm -hmm. in this world. Mm -hmm. But that's when I guess, even with myself, I had to realize that uh, you know, one day I was, I was contemplating a whole lot of things. I, you know, I went to prison, I served mm -hmm. time. And you know, it's, it's a whole lot go through your mind when you're sitting there. And, uh, mm -hmm. But one day I realized that uh, you know, I'm looking at the physical being Mm -hmm. And run that's right. And we all just passing through here. Yeah. Ain't none of us coming here to stay. And that's the time I began to realize that I was a spiritual being only having a human experience. Mm -hmm. So the time I'm here, I'm like, you know, I'm gonna have to do what I can to make a difference. To make it better for make the, the better other for those spirits who are yeah, coming yeah. through. And I yeah. have children coming behind me. And you got to stand for something. You got to work real in yeah. the fight. You can't just mm -hmm. go along with people yeah. that have been mistreating you all these, all your days, and you're gonna just sit here and just smile and yeah. say, "Turn the cheek," you yeah. know, something. Hey, yeah. well, I'm not, I'm to not gonna hurt you, but I'm not gonna let you hurt me. No, I, and I, if I, I think you're trying to hurt me, then yeah, we both we all we all have a problem. Yeah, there's here. gonna be a problem. Yeah. Be a problem. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I think all you can do when you look at the the bottom line is. You know, we're all human beings. Um, some of us can make a lot of money, but you can lose that money, or you can leave it to your children and they can lose it, and they might be on the bread line one day. So all you can do is work to make the world a better place for all human beings, not just some or a few. Make it so that people who come behind us will have a better life, will have a better existence, will have a better world. And it's really, to me, like you said, we're, we're spirits passing through, we, energy passing through, so form of energy. Yeah. And, you know, you, you, you take that energy, you try to, to use it, mold it in a constructive way to make a better world. And you, 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 don't, you don't have a choice. You have to move on. Yeah. So. But, you know, just like Clarence, they, our days are numbered, Clarence, Thomas days are numbered, and everybody else. But the harm that but, people like that do, and, the harm and the devastation. Unfortunately, it seems like it seems what they call that fair seeming. Mm -hmm. Like the benefits are better on the other side, and the harm that is done. But I have to believe that there's got to be a force beyond us. Oh yeah, definitely. That we are, that we on the right team. It just don't seem like it because of all the wickedness and corruption that's going on here, mm -hmm. it's gonna to come to an end. And I have to believe too, like the Bible says, the first should be last and the last should be first. Mm -hmm. And so people fighting to make sure that that don't happen, but you can't stop it. You no, know, no, you can't no, it. you can't. I mean, it's, it's been, you know, it's, it's um, I think that the benefit to me is the lessons that I've learned and hopefully being in a position to pass some of those lessons on to other to other human beings, to other human beings, to my family, to other people. And going back to Southern, I think when I look back on what's happened, the things that I would like to see uh, come out of Southern is I'd like for Southern to become a better university. I'd like for the students to have the best opportunities in the world available to them. You know, good professors, good at educational environment, where once you get in, everything is done to help you learn and graduate and become the best, you know, whatever it is, a doctor or a nurse or
carpenter or whatever it is you, you plan, architect, whatever you're planning on, and having them go out into the world and use that experience to make it better for other, other people like us. And hopefully society, you know, as a whole, um, to have scholarships created um, for the, the children, the family members of, of um, Leonard, uh, of Denver, and um, because I think the, um, what Southern did to them, there's, there's no way to ever repay that, you know. So that their entire family, every, every descendant of those two young men should have free tuition at Southern forever, forever. Um, the way that the, um, that um, Georgetown is doing with the, the families, the G descendants. G72. Of the, yeah, yeah. I think that Southern should do that for the, for Denver and um, they, uh, Leonard they, and Denver. They was only 20 years old, so they, might not, they, they didn't, probably didn't even have children. Well, one of them has a son, but yeah. not just for their children, yeah. you know, yeah. for yeah. any, any family. Exactly, there. exactly. So where, where was Leonard Brown from? I knew uh, Denver. Smith was from New Rose, Louisiana. I think both of them were from that area, but I'm not sure. I know that Sababu's um, ex-wife, Kat, knew both of them and was related to one of the um, young men. Um, but yeah, from around, I know that one was from around the New Rose area, because that's where Kat is from. So, but she knew, she knew both of them, she was related to one of them. You know, it was, it, you know, I had a chance to travel. That's why I heard the name Sakara. It's kind of reminded me of the word, so how you pronounce it? Sakari. Sakari. Because mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. traveled to Egypt mm -hmm. years ago with, with, a, with a, my mentor, who was Dr. Ben Yahakana. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you ever heard that name before. Dr. Ben? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. He was my, my, my mm -hmm. mentor. Mm -hmm. And I traveled there with him and uh, uh, Aisha Kwezu. So I got to know mm -hmm. who Aisha was. And through that travel, that was my eye-awakening experience mm -hmm. in 1990. So you're talking about 30, well, 32 years ago. So I was I was awakened like never before to see that first of all we've been lied to, <laughs> we've been bamboozled, we've been, we've been had, bamboozled, bamboozled, we've been yeah. had because yeah. uh, I did not know. I was a young boy, a country boy out of Franklin. Didn't know much about no religion. I love the Ten Commandments, you know, mm -hmm. the movie, the Ten Commandments, the, the great stories that that came out of all these different movies. Charles Brennan, Brennan, mm -hmm. that Charles? Charleston Heston. Yeah, Charleston Heston. Mm -hmm. uh, what the lady name? Uh, Elizabeth Taylor. Mm -hmm. So when I went to Egypt, we went, we went into our first temple. When I saw everybody on the walls look like you, Dr. Jackson, and me, I was, it shook the mind, you know, yeah. that caught you off guard. Ain't nobody prepared me for this. Right. I didn't even go there for that. I was just following Dr. Ben. I've been mm -hmm. reading about him. I went mm -hmm. watch him speak at the shrine of the, Mac, the Black Madonna. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so in I was, Detroit? Yeah, no, yeah. I had one in, uh, in Houston. Oh, in Houston. Yeah. Uh -huh. So I was up there, and... Uh, I think it was the, or the third eye, which one? I think it's Ryan the Black Madonna. I think mm -hmm. that's what it was. So, you know, I was 
So when I went there and it was two weeks, it done something to me. I've never been the same since that day. That's a good. That's a good thing. That's well, a great thing, but, yeah. the, but there's a there's a dilemma in that. Yeah. The dilemma is you have to make a decision. Like now, what you go do? Because mm -hmm. either you gonna believe what you see, what you just got to experience it. Like I said, you're going to take the red pill, the blue pill. you got to decide you're going to go back and just forget about what all you, you saw. Are you part of the problem yeah, or part of the solution? Yeah, so you got to you have some yeah. decisions. Yeah. And I believe what your grandparents told you, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, what yeah. your mom or daddy told you, yeah. or what you just seen and what you just experienced. Yeah. And I couldn't go back. So that was my awakening. awakening. Mm -hmm. yeah. And the shaking it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that when I got back, so I was, I had a restaurant. I would, in my restaurant, I would pass out tracks, you know, mm -hmm. you know, to the, my customers, you know, talk about the great things of God. But and for for years, <clears throat> and when I when I got back, we go back to go back to there. Now, everybody wanted to come back, wanted to, you know, shake me back to like. Boy, you done gone crazy. The old guy. Yeah, yeah. you know, you mm -hmm. done gone. What done happened to you? Mm -hmm. they, done, they can't understand what, what done happened to me. Mm -hmm. You can't explain it to them because that don't mm -hmm. make sense to them. No. They're in the same place I was at. You blind, but you still can't see. You know, you can't see. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm there. So I decided just to leave it all behind. Because nobody was going to stand. I mean, the Bible, all this stuff was like, but it took years. But I end up back. And the reason I end up back, one day I was sitting doing some research, some study, and I said, you know, this Bible is a beautiful thing. Because what have happened? Someone unintentionally have preserved our history. Because once I realized who that story was dealing with, who it was talking about, mm -hmm. then it, it took me back somewhere else. So once I saw that and understood that, like, this is, because the whole story of the Bible took place in, took place in one place. Mm -hmm. It's in Africa. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. whole Bible deals in one place. And it's a story about what happened in that region. Yeah, at, least, at least some parts of it, yeah. No, the whole Bible, because... Yeah. I mean, Israel is still on the continent of Africa. I don't care how they mm -hmm. want to teach it. Egypt is still in, on the oh, continent yeah, of Africa. Yeah, I mean, the, the, it, there's, um, yeah, but, I'm trying to think of, of who wrote it. It's called Mountain of the Moons. Uh, and it what, talks uh, about, um, I don't, I'm trying to remember who wrote that. Mountain um, of the Moon. Dr. Ben wrote something about that. It wasn't Dr. Ben. It was, Uganda. it was, is it Asa Hilliard? I can't, I can't remember, but. Um, God at the, the foot of Mount Kilimanjaro, Mount Kilimanjaro. where, you know, where... Um, the Nile starts. Yeah, mm -hmm. and the, the history of Nubia and people traveling up and and tracing right. the stars. And But, I mean, I, I can't go back to the Bible because it's just been so um, bastardized in so many ways over the years, you know, but I, but I, but I do know that mankind started with us. No, 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 not know. mankind. Mankind I, to me, mankind European. That's the mankind. No, no. I you mean, human being, uh, human life started with black. The first people yeah. on this earth were black people, and 
people migrated to different places, and Dr. Francis Welsing talks about how people got trapped in the ice for 30,000 years and how their features changed and on and on and on. Um, so I'm, I'm very secure in my blackness, very secure in my blackness. And like you, I have had Dr. Ben, I've listened to Dr. Ben would come and give lectures at a group that we had in D.C. called Break the Chains. And, um, and just brilliant black scholars. Have you read Sheikh Antadia? Oh, yes, yeah. And even Gerald Massey. Um, and, you know, just Obangay and just on and on and on. Um, right now, um, there's a young brother by the name of William Darity. You know Sandra Darity? Uh, from, uh, he's, I think he's at Duke now, or he was at Chapel Hill, but he's got a book out now on reparations. I can't think of um, the name of the book. William Darity. Um, um, Heather McGee, The Some of Us, which is, you know, more of a we can all get along kind of thing. But um, they're just great black scholars out now, you know, who, who've done the work. Well, you know, to me is that. Done the research. Well, Joyce Dr. Jackson. Oh, Dr. Jackson, she's, she's mm -hmm. amazing mm -hmm. in a whole lot of ways. Mm -hmm. so, so are you. I'm not, a, uh, I'm not yeah. an intellectual yeah, yeah, no, scholar. I, 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 yeah, you yeah, don't get away with that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I don't believe you in the beginning. <laughs> you might want to leave that behind. <laughs> but, uh, but what, but what I had realized though through my uh, my travel is that uh, and why the system is conscious effort, systematic, I guess, effort to keep us, you know, just out of sports, you know, because somebody knew who we are. Once you put us there, yeah. I mean, we ride. I mean, we it's just mm -hmm. we we just we just some great. I mean, we just can do things nobody else can't do. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, there's a, a book. It wasn't written by a black man. It was written by a white man, and I can't think of his name. But what he talks about is called the Gaia Principle, and guy the Gaia Principle is that um, the Earth is an organism like the human body is, mm. and when you do things to the earth to hurt it, it's going to develop like the body develops antigens or whatever you call them to fight off disease. That the earth does the same thing. You know, it does, shifts its platelets underneath and, and the titanic platelets and does all kinds of things to correct what the problem is, you know. And I think um, that some of what we're seeing with the, the the dissolution of the ozone layer and all of you know all of that stuff is the earth <laughs> correcting itself and getting rid of the people who are causing the most problems to it you know <laughs> because you know, yeah with skin cancer and you know all that other stuff so um, and people with melanin tend not to have those problems as much as fair skin you know individuals do especially Caucasians. So, uh, you know, I think that, um, I, you know, I, 
one of the things that he mentioned in that book is he says, why, why are we attacking black people so much when that's the seed of humanity? They you know, know that. Some people all know the, that. The DNA and everything else of humanity is housed in these people. So why would you want to destroy them? Because in destroying them, you might destroy something that, that's able to keep humanity existing for another, you know, thousand or so, you know, more years. So yeah, people, I mean, people realize our worth as human beings. They know who the first human beings were and are. Well, they know it's a way to, to keep you out of things because they don't want you, because you make it harder for them. Well, Francis Quest Wilson thinks that it's a psychological thing, yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, she's a psychologist, so. <laughs> yeah, she feels that it's a, a psychological thing and and they can't help themselves. Right, because like so she talk about the, when you, they used to white, use the white ball, you know, the, the black ball. Mm -hmm. you know, so, you know, but we have to be aware of, you know, yeah, of is, the dangers, real. the dangers that we as a people are facing in the world. And not all human beings, not all white people are that way. You know, some of them have a true sense of justice. I do believe that. But I don't know that the majority of them do, and I don't know that whatever disease they have, you know, I, no, I, you know, I don't, I'm not just saying that to be funny, but whatever that, the disease of racism and, you know, in, that imperialistic mindset, um, you know, hopefully it's not pervasive and it's something that, you know, eventually with time can be cured. You know, there's an old Chinese proverb and that proverb is about a group of people in a warehouse and they're all asleep and there are no windows and theoretically no way to get out. And so the question is, do you wake them up and tell them what's going on, you know? You can't get out either. Well, you don't know. Do you wake them up and have them try to find out? Even, you know, you're saying there's no way out. Do you wake them up and have them try to figure out and find out a way to get out? Or do you let them sleep and just die peacefully? Because, because it's, it's a certainty that they will die if they sleep in that, that warehouse. There's not a certainty that they will die if you wake them up and tell them what's going on and give them an opportunity to at least try to get out. And I think that's, you know, that's what it is with us. We have to, we have to spread the truth. And, you know, not the truth and fairy tales about heaven and hell and all that other stuff, but the, the truth, the truth. So, uh, mm -hmm. Attorney Harnett, what are, your, what are your solutions to resolving the ills of our community? All I can say is educate, 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 spread the truth. But educate, if, what, educate what if they well, sleep? Tell, well, you, I have to tell the truth. You know, you have to, I believe, that you can let everybody in the warehouse sleep or you can wake them up and tell them the truth, what's going on and what their options are. That's all you can do.
where I think is is count time. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I truly mm -hmm. believe the kingdom of God is at hand. Well, my mother believes that too. <laughs> I believe that. I believe the kingdom of God is at hand, and you're mm -hmm. part of that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and we're we going to have to work together because God's kingdom is the only really king, true kingdom. The rest of this is just, you know. And we, we know, I guess I heard, I heard a, uh, a, years ago when I was doing a lot of studying, what we call Africa study, and you start realizing that. Uh, and I, one, one time I read a guy say, well, only a fool would believe there's no God. Uh, what do you mean by that? <clears throat> See, only a fool will, be, will believe there is no God. Because the Bible says you are God. So you don't believe in yourself. It's not something the, in the sky. But before the Bible said that, you know, African scholars. Yeah, oh, the, the ancients, been. I'm just using that's the, right. the ancients. And, that's that's and, where they got it from. Yeah, and the principle principles of Mayop, you know, the, the, the principles that the, the Ten Commandments came from, mm -hmm. and all of those things. Um, I have not stolen, The truth is out there. The truth is out there. It's just a matter of accessing the truth and disseminating it. And if people want to hear it and take it in, they can. And if they don't, that's, that's what, all that you can the do. The beauty of the ancient teaching is that the truth is already in everybody. You didn't have to look nowhere but within yourself. You open the mind, open the spirit, and you're going to find all the truth you ever need. Because if you look at it on the outside, that's what you keep getting. Mm -hmm. Other people, information, other people, facts. Kind of like an attorney, you all get on the, get on the facts finding, right? Mm -hmm. And I learned from doing a little research. I did it, I called myself a little bootleg uh, not an attorney. I like the word attorney because the word attorney has become the word atone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, so mm -hmm. uh, as a, yeah, so yeah. I realized that you know facts is different from the truth. You can get somebody in court, and you might say, "Isn't the fact that you was at this location at this time?" Yes. Isn't the fact that you met with this person at this time? Yes. Isn't the fact that you did this, that, and that? Yes. Did you, in the fact that you killed her? No. I, yeah, as a fact, I was there, but the truth, I had nothing to do with the rest of that. So the mm -hmm. fact and the truth are two different things. Well, it's like, um, what's her name? Trump's, um, what was she? The one who said that they're alternative facts? I can't uh, think of her name. The, the, um, the, the, the one that will speak all the time. Yeah, one of Trump's, um, uh, protégés got on national television and I think they were talking about the fact that he was saying that there were so many people at the, the um, his inauguration and more than ever in the history of any inauguration in the United States and on and on and on. And they were interviewing her and they said, well, we can see the pictures. We're looking at, at you know, and she says, well, they're alternative facts. <laughs> And if, if it wasn't that, it was something very similar to that, but she was basically saying that they're 
the alternative facts. And that's real, that's real. Yeah, and I think that, you know, well, there may be alternative facts, but there are no alternative truths. There's only one truth. It's only, yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And, and unfortunately, but, that's the way that our, our court system works on facts. And you can yeah. put somebody in the place and make it the truth. Not, yeah. not the truth, but the facts led to it, people thinking it's the truth. Yeah, the legal system is, yeah. is I think, um, the major system of incarceration and the modern day system of enslavement. That's what it is. And, 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 the, and the most beloved President Clinton signed the worst bill in 1994 that incarcerated yeah. the crime bill three in 1994 yeah. that three strike you out. Yeah. yeah, but he, he did a lot of a lot of things. Yeah, but he, put, but he, he took a lot of us out of the household. Oh yeah, he took he, he took a lot of black mothers away from their children. You know, saying that if you get welfare, you know, you gotta go, gotta get get out and get a job. And how are you gonna get a job? Who's gonna take care of your children? There, there are no daycare centers that they can afford. So how are you gonna tell them you have to get out and get a job in order to get a food stamp? So you know, to get um, uh, aid, you know, for your children, medical aid for your children. I mean, Clinton did a lot of bad things. I mean, he did some good things, but those were the two worst things that he did. Um, and all of them have. Ronald Reagan closed all of the mental health facilities in the country and put a lot of people that are in jail now who should be in mental health institutions, but they're in jail and they're just going to get worse. What, you know? what about your President uh, Obama? Obama did a lot of things, but he empowered a group of people that just changed the course of the administration. Well, Obama did. Obama was a very ambitious person. I think he had good intentions. Um, I think he did the best that he thought that he could do with the situation that he was presented with. Um, but that institution, the institution itself, you know, is an institution that's built to keep certain people on the top and certain people on the bottom. There's nothing that he can do about that. There's nothing that he could have done about that. If he would either be dead or incarcerated himself. I mean, those were really his only two options. So why are you bad at Clarence? Clarence? Yes. Because Clarence has made a choice. I don't know that Obama did something. He, he gave people health care, which we did not have. Um, I don't know that I saw him do anything that would be mass destruction, mass harm to thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Um, I don't ever remember seeing or hearing of him doing anything deliberately that would, that would do that. But Clarence has done that. Clarence has done that with his decisions. The last one, the only one up there, the only one up there with the abortion rights bill. I think it was the was it abortion rights bill. Yes. Yeah. So mm -hmm. um, I think it was the, the, the thing before that. But he goes along consistently with whatever the right, whatever they tell him to, I to do. Get along yeah. to go along, go along to get along. Yeah. yeah. But it's amazing when you talk about nature and when you think about man. Man left to his own device 
will self-destruct. You think so? Nature left to his own device will flourish. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. But man is a part of nature. But you leave to his own device, he gonna self-destruct. Uh, you know, but I nature, know. you know, I it, hear, it, it, I hear, I hear black people say all the time, you know, we're like crabs in a barrel, and we pull each other down, and we pull each other back, and on and on and on. And that's, you sit down and you think, nobody's ever given us anything as black people. Everything that we have gained in this country, in our lifetime, in the, well, the, since we have been in the Americas, the, our most recent period in the Americas, we had to fight and die and struggle for that. They've never, no one has ever said, I'm going to do this wholeheartedly, completely for black people. No one has ever done they that. They won't do it. No, because, and the only way that we get things is if we as a people get together and struggle for that. And we have. We have. That's the only reason why we have any semblance of a decent existence now is because we've had to die for it, to protest for it, to struggle for it, to lose our lives, to lose our children's lives, and on and on and on. That's the only way that we've gotten anything in this country. So every time I hear a black person say that, it, you know, it makes my blood boil, and I have to call them on it. Not that I'm calling you to the carpet, but I have to call them on it because no one not Spanish people, not Arab people, not Caucasians, black people. Whatever we have, we have given it to ourselves. So we are not crabs in the barrel. But, but, if anything, you know, we're there. We, we don't, don't always do it the absolute, complete, best way and right way. But we as a people have struggled to gain every privilege and benefit that we've received in this society. We as a people have done that. But yeah. my brother, you should read Van Sertima. <laughs> I read that long time ago. And you should it read, came before Columbus. That's right. Yeah, and okay. you should read other African scholars that let you know that the first people on the American continent were African people. That's what I'm saying. And, that, that, yes. that, and, and you can trace that back to a lot of the figureheads and things that you see. Actually, one of the very first African settlements in the Americas was in Louisiana, the Almec people. The Almec, right. But, um, Matter of fact, uh, Doc, I, I, was, I was getting, I was asking Doc, can you do the research to the mounds on LSU campus? Because they were the old, they're some of the oldest mounds in the world mm -hmm. that was inhabited by us. Mm -hmm. You know, but nobody talks about it. Yeah, but the thing about it, when black people came to this continent, they didn't enslave anybody. No, they didn't try to take over their country. They didn't try to uh, rape their women. They didn't try to do anything. If anything, they might have... Um, Everybody assimilated. Inter Everybody yeah, yeah. Right, right. That's, that's what happened. You know, we, we don't have a history of traveling, and we travel the world. We don't have a history. And I mean, and, and some of us have done some pretty horrible things, but not horrible things that were necessarily natural to us, but horrible things that we've done because of our interactions with other groups and other cultures, uh, you know, other people who, who had different experiences that caused them to develop the traits that they've developed in life. But it's all interesting, though, because, you know, 
thank God for people like Adamus and Adam. I said name again. Ben Sertiman. Oh, uh, Hendrick Clark. Hendrick. Uh, Doctor. Doctor Clark. Uh, mm -hmm. Doctor Ben. All those great scholars, because they're the ones who really got us, you know, mm -hmm. on the tr on track. Even particularly just to take a trip with a Doctor Ben mm -hmm. at a young age was, you know, beyond. Yeah, but like even before that, believe it or not, yeah. Du Bois taught about oh, yeah. all of this. Oh, yeah. You know, Sheikh Antadiop and all of those people, Obangi, um, all of those people, the, the knowledge is out there. If you look at, Gerald Massey will tell you, um, he has two volumes, this thick, and Massey goes into it, and, and what's his, who, what was his name at Fitch, Fisk University? Um, Dr. Fitz. That you and Fitch. I went to see. Dr. Fitz. Fitch, yeah, Fitch. that's, Dr. yeah, Fitch. from, mm -hmm. um, who studied Massey and, you know, the knowledge is out there, you know, it's just that, you know, Dr. Massey said that he could not believe when he looked at the people standing on the corner, corners of England, that these were the, the people who had the greatest civilization in the world, hmm. you know, and what happened to do that, but our scholars tell us what happened. But, but you know, we know even, all of that. But even the greatest deception being in the system of law, because the people who wrote the law was looked like us. The, the, the first treaty written by the Moors, the, the Friendship Treaty. I don't, I don't know about that, yeah. but I do know that a lot of what we see today that they call democracy and all that other stuff was really. Um, um, laws that were practiced by African tribes that was called democratic socialism, mm -hmm. democratic centralism, where you had a chief and you had other people in the tribe and they would get together and decide on that central group, what would happen, what direction the tribe would move in from generation to generation, how it would run, what role the people would have. There's a good movie out, The Woman King, that's out now. Yeah. yeah. My daughter told me she yeah. hated it. My daughter told me she hated it. Really? <laughs> she yeah. said it was just basically about slavery and how bad we treat each other. That's what she that was her philosophy. Yeah. Now, she was I, I haven't it. seen it. I she heard said, that it was she based said, on. She said it, was, it wasn't what it built, was built up to be. Oh, okay. She told me that today. So. Mm -hmm, yeah. But I like to thank, should I call you doctor? No. <laughs> just, no. just attorney? No, just Sakari. Sakari Harnett. And I'd like to thank you so very much for sitting down and uh, giving us a lot of good, great information in history about the past, where you see things are going now, and, and sharing your heart and your spirit and your soul with count time. You went pretty deep today. Yeah, I don't know if I want all of this on tape. <laughs> <I'll be laughs> if I want all of this on tape, you know. I, I don't know if I've ever had this in-depth a conversation with anybody, but maybe my very close, close friends. Now, you still ain't say the, the, the Southern University or your apology or something, eh? Well, um, you know, I don't, I don't blame Southern. You know, I still think it was a white politician in the state. So if there's an apology that comes from anybody, it should be from from the governor's office. Um, you know, I don't know. It was just died last year, so y'all missed that. <laughs> I know, I know, <laughs> I know. Um, and I, I wouldn't look for anything from him. 
but I don't, I don't uh, I, like I said, I think the, the biggest thing that they could ever do for me is to give that um, a permanent scholarship to all of the members of the two students who were killed on campus, to their family members, you know, forever. Um, I think that's what they could do. And other than that, there's really nothing else. So you've never been back to Southern University to even a football game? No. You, 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 never, yeah. you, you never saw, saw the human jukebox. <laughs> I know you had to go and watch them. No. I've never been on Southern's campus since I left. One time we left, we, we were trying to get back on campus to pick up some of the things that we left behind in the department where I was. And when we got near the school, the National Guard came out and chased us. It was me and two other guys from New Orleans, Paulford and Lionel, who I had known. I grew up with, uh, I'd known since my childhood. and. Um, Paulford and Lionel, one was, on, one was on this side and one was on this side. And they said to me, if anything happens, you keep going and we'll stop them. And I thought, I'm not going to leave you all. If we go down, we're going down together. <laughs> You felt like Angela Davis, are you? No, not no, I'm, I'm no Angela Davis. Oh, and so we, we ran and went into, really kind of pushed our way into a person's house, um, hoping that the, the National Guard or whoever the police force. What, what they was patrolling they the, the, the yeah, campus? Yeah, the campus, they had a, the campus was on lockdown. So right after, right after the, the, the violence, they, they shut it down for the rest of the year or just for a few? Um, no, it was shut down, I think, for a couple of months. I'm not sure how That was long. November, so it's right going into yeah. the holidays. Yeah, so they probably didn't open up until the new semester That started. happened right before Thanksgiving. Uh, yeah, November the 16th. Yeah. And so y'all attempted to go there with it about two weeks later? I don't know exactly when it was, but I know that they were in Baton Rouge, and I wanted to get some things that we left in the department in the office there. So y'all were and driving or walking? No, we were walking, we were on foot. So we're going the back way through the campus to go in like a, a, little, a little hole that we all knew about. <laughs> a little hole that we all knew about. But you didn't think they knew about we it. We didn't huh? think they knew about it. And sure enough, they came with guns drawn and they chased us. Go, guns drawn? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You still bold enough to go out there. That says a lot, though. <laughs> and I, I remember Joyce Pucci told me that morning. He said, "Don't, don't, don't leave out of here. Don't, don't, don't." Yeah, I did. <laughs> so you, but at that time, you didn't care anyway. You cared less about the system, too. No, I think at that point we were just young, foolish kids, figuring, you know, you, it's not worth dying for it's not worth having so. <laughs> you would not you you would think it that way you yeah. were all thinking that i think yeah so you were all thinking that. so you were willing to die if i yeah if i had to yeah. Yeah. We, i think we all were we all were how you get to that place um just, just, 
part of the struggle. So once you decide to move forward, you, mm -hmm. you Once you're in the struggle, you're in the struggle. And the struggle was real. Huh? It was real. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly when you're in jail. <laughs> Not everybody mad at your mama mad. Everybody mad. Yeah, who would ever think that a little Catholic girl from Xavier Prep would be in state prison? <laughs> who, who would ever think that? Yeah. You're you, you a real gangster. You yeah. tell them you tell them you're a real gangster. Yeah. Yeah. Who, who wore pigtails and you know, and uh, what was it, the name of Yardley? Uh, Yardley soaps and perfumes and lipsticks and you know. <laughs> All of the little girly stuff, you know, yeah, you that you do. But you had none of that in prison, huh? You, I didn't have that anywhere. <laughs> I remember one, one night the, the FBI called us up. They were following us around. And the FBI called to my apartment. And they asked me something. I don't remember what it was. And they said, um, how did the red beans turn out? How did the red beans turn out? They knew what I was cooking. Yeah. Yeah. Call it that you knew, huh? Yeah. Did you ever did you ever request your files from the FBI? CIA? I never did. I never did. Why? Just to see what they were saying. Just lies. Well, you know that, but at least yeah. you know what the lies are. You, you assume it, huh? No, I really, you know, I just really kind of distanced myself from Southern, you know, and then going through the whole thing with Clarence Thomas. Um, and so basically, I mean, I've done things like I organized the uh, first union for taxi drivers in uh, Silver Spring, Maryland, for black taxi drivers, oh, okay. for primarily um, African and foreign students who were being, you know, um, shafted by the, the Taxi Cab Commission in, um, in Maryland. And so I um, helped to organize their union, first union they've ever had. And um, I take cases to, um, you know, to help people. I do foreclosure defense work to keep people from losing their homes. Um, I do um, a lot of employment discrimination work to keep people from from um, losing their jobs. EEOC you got you ready for that. EEOC, yeah, yeah, and labor, labor law. Okay. With unions and, and that kind of work, so that's primarily what I've done. So I don't make a lot of money, but I make enough to live. Well, you know, but you're the type of lawyer that you know. I would hire because I know you're gonna get the job done. <laughs> so if anybody need a good attorney, <laughs> are you in Maryland or Virginia? You can practice in both areas. In DC and Maryland. DC and Maryland. Mm -hmm. So anybody here in this podcast in DC and Maryland, y'all mm -hmm. look for attorney. Federal court in DC and federal and state court in Maryland. Oh, okay then. Mm -hmm. So, you, so uh, attorney Sakara Harnett. <laughs> Har Kari. She's saying Sukari, like African safari, but yeah. with a K, Sakari. Sakari. Mm -hmm. okay. I thought that's what I said. It didn't come out the same. <laughs> I, in my mind, I'm saying that. Mm -hmm. So attorney Sakari Harnett. <laughs> well, once again, thank you for being on Counter. You're quite welcome. All right. Man can shackle the hand. Man can shackle the feet. But only you can shackle the mind.
The mind is always free to travel wherever you dare to take it. Welcome to Count Time.